When we think of the topic of raising children, we are immediately confronted with a great need in our day. There is a need for men to be involved in raising children as much as ever. We know that darkness is, is targeting our children at such an intense level that probably few have ever seen before. The current government, both in terms of our own state government here in California, as well as the federal government, those governments do not have our children's best interests in mind. We see what is coming from uh, the local governments these days in terms of curriculum in the public school system through various efforts to undermine God's design of male and female and the understanding of male and female, such a fundamental issue, and yet our government is taking direct aim at those things, seeking to, to outlaw essentially a biblical view, a true understanding of these things. And we could add to that list more and, and more issues that are arising in our culture that are issues that are challenging the family today, challenging our kids from the earliest ages. And all that does is it seeks to, to or it, it results in a, in a highlighting of the fact that men need to engage in fatherhood as much as ever today. When we look at the culture that's out there, we must understand men, we need to rise to the occasion. Fathers, in light of the growing threats, in light of the storm clouds on the horizon, men, you need to rise to the occasion. There is no basis upon which we can take a back seat in this. There's no basis to be passive, no basis in which we can think that things will just work out. We can allocate this to our wives or to Sunday school teachers or to other pastors. We can allow other teachers to be involved. No, what the current context is telling us today is that we as men need to step up. We as men need to engage. We have a divine responsibility, a role that has been given to us by God, and we need to meet that responsibility head on. And yet, when we think of that, obviously, we realize our inadequacies. Raising children is not an easy thing, even when we have the sincerity and the commitment to the task. That's only half the battle. The actual work of raising children is perhaps the hardest thing that we will ever engage in. I like what Sir Spurgeon said when he said this, he who thinks it easy to bring up a family never had one of his own. A mother who trains her children aright had need be wiser than Solomon, for his son turned out to be a fool. And it's interesting, we're studying the book of Proverbs. These are the words of Solomon. We see Solomon's intent in, in all of his instructions to his child, and we realize that his own son departed from the way of wisdom. This is a very difficult task, and the risks are exceedingly high, but as we will see 
tonight as well that the joys and the rewards are proportionate to the risks. It is a difficult task. And in our day, when we see so many threats to the family from government, from culture, from entertainment, from public school systems, we can often be in a position of of, of paralysis. We're paralyzed not knowing what we are to do, not knowing where there is wisdom to be found. But thankfully, we do have a sound word. Ted Tripp, in his introduction to his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, hits it right on the target here when he says this. The only safe guide is the Bible. It is the revelation of God who has infinite knowledge and can therefore give you absolute truth. God has given you a revelation that is robust and complete. It presents an accurate and comprehensive picture of children, parents, family life, values, training, nurture, and discipline. All you need to be equipped for the task of parenting. End quote. Thanks be to God, we have his word. And his word does not just deal with with abstract ideas and abstract truth. It gets to the very nitty-gritty of instructing us even on how to raise our own children. And if we fail, if we fail due to ignorance, if we fail due to misapplication, if we fail... Uh, due to imbalance, the problem is not because we didn't have the truth that we needed. The problem is because we were not good students. We were not faithful doers of the word. God has given us what we need, even in today's context, for us as fathers to rise to the occasion and to raise our children successfully despite all the dangers of this culture. And a lot of that wisdom, a lot of that revelation comes in the book of Proverbs. We started last week by looking at the first three of what I said yesterday, or or last week, of three of ten lessons, three of ten principles on raising children from the book of Proverbs. We only got through three of the five that I had planned last week, uh, and, and so what I tried to do, actually, is I've, I've condensed it from 10 down to 9. So, <laughs> I don't know if that'll help us get through tonight. Uh, we'll do our best, but I'll just say this. If we can't get through everything tonight, next week we are not meeting because it's the Wednesday before Good Friday, and I want you to be here Friday night for the Good Friday service. So, next Wednesday we are not meeting If we cannot get through all this material tonight, I will do a special audio recording. We'll just put it on the website and you can listen that way. So if you're looking at your handout as we start going through this tonight and you're thinking about the time, I won't be preaching till 10 o'clock tonight. I'll let you out earlier than that. And whatever we don't cover will be in an audio version of this. Let's review what we covered last Wednesday. The first three Lessons from Proverbs about raising children. Number one, a father's successful leadership begins by instilling in his children the need to fear God. This is where it all begins. 
It begins with this most fundamental responsibility of a creature before his creator. And we as fathers must instill the need, must instill in our children this recognition of a need to adore, a need to reverence, a need to submit, a need to believe the creator, the judge of the universe, the only savior, the one true God. Secondly, a father's successful leadership assumes the depravity of his offspring. We need to realize that it is, it is, it is our responsibility. It is on our shoulders that we brought into this world sinners. They're depraved. We do not bring into this world little angels. That does not come from our bodies, does not come from us, does not come from our flesh. We bring into this world depraved sinners. And that recognition is, is fundamental for a proper approach to parenting, that our children come into this world sinners by nature. They don't learn it, although they will have their sinful nature exasperated, absolutely, as we live in, in our own imperfection and sinful practices. They will see that. It will make things worse, but we have to realize that sinfulness is already a part of who they are, and that changes everything with how we approach parenting. Number three, we also saw last week that a father's successful leadership disciplines his children for foolish behavior. There must be the application of discipline in terms of verbal correction and admonishment, a kind of speech that points out error and instructs in the path of righteousness, as well as the element of corporal punishment. The book of Proverbs prescribes both. Now again, it never prescribes those tools in an abusive manner. The book of Proverbs, as we're going to see in a few weeks when we study the topic of anger, we're going to see that the book of Proverbs decidedly condemns any outburst of anger. And that would apply to disciplining children as well. There's no room for an outburst of anger in terms of our disciplining of our children. But Proverbs does call upon us to exercise this. And take note of this, men. That to the degree to which you do not discipline your children, both verbally and corporally, in their youth, in their childhood, the more that will become necessary as they grow older and the more severe it will be, which is why I read that statistic last week that 70% of people in jail today come from fatherless homes. And then there's the dilemma of how to discipline those criminals. You neglect discipline when it is easy with a child and you are just postponing the consequences to when it is exceedingly difficult to an adult. How do you discipline an adult? So the book of Proverbs says if you love your child, if you desire the best for his future, you will engage in discipline when your child is young. Now, let's continue on from there. Number four, the fourth lesson, our first one for tonight is this. A father's successful leadership trains his children in the practical skills of wise living. A 
A father's successful leadership trains his children in the practical skills of wise living. It is our duty as fathers to be engaged in training our children in the skills of life. This is not something for a, a teacher in school to do. This is not even something that is, that is exclusively limited to the mother. This is something that the book of Proverbs indicates is a father's responsibility. In the most basic elements of successful living, a father has a duty to pass on that wisdom to his children. We see this repeatedly in the first segment of the book of Proverbs. When you look at the book of Proverbs, it's basically broken up into two main segments. We put aside for a moment the preamble, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1, and the two concluding chapters, which are unique, chapters 30 and 31. And you have chapter 1, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8, all the way to the end of chapter 29. You can split those into two parts. The first part is chapter 1, verse 8, all the way to the, end of verse, uh, to the end of chapter 9. The first nine chapters, they're what we call instructional proverbs. They're, they're not just pithy sayings. They're long instructions. They're whole paragraphs of units. They don't just fit into that nice little proverbial statement. And, and those are called proverbs as well because they give wisdom in practical living. And then chapter 10, all the way to the end of chapter 29, they're the, those collections of the smaller, pithy sayings. Now, when we look at the first section, chapters 1 to 9, in the instructional Proverbs, we see how often Solomon beseeches his son to listen. Over and over again, Solomon says, listen, my son, listen, my son. The verb to listen the Hebrew verb implies much more than just an auditory recognition of sounds. It implies the, the, the idea of obedience. And we could really translate the verb listen as obey. Solomon is engaged in this effort to persuade his son to obey. Listen, listen. Obey, obey, receive my commands, receive my instructions over and over. And what this also communicates is this. We, when we follow what is then communicated, when we see what the father beseeches his son to listen to, we see the father teaching his, his son about all kinds of issues in those first nine chapters. I'll give to those in just a few moments. But again, what I want you to see is just how often that Solomon beseeches his son. We see that as a father, he is speaking. He is not absent. He's not quiet. He's not passive. He's speaking. And, and you see it. Look, just go through this list. 1 verse 8, 1 verse 10, 1 verse 15, 2 verse 1, 3 verse 1, 3 verse 11, 4 verse 1, 4 verse 10. He says, my son, my son, my son, hear, 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 receive my words. That continues on, 4 verse 20, 5 verse 1, 5 verse 7, 6 verses 1 to 3, 6 verse 20, 7 verse 1, 7 verse 24. My son, my son, listen to me, listen to me, give attention to my wisdom. 
And even beyond that, later on in the second part of the book, in 19 verse 27, 23 15, 23 19, 23 26, 24 21, 27 11, and on and on. My son, my son, my son, give me your heart. Listen, listen, receive my words. We see a father who's engaged, a father who's using the power of speech for life to instruct his son in the ways of wise living. Now, what are those ways? What do we find following those those addresses? Well, for example, a common one is how to relate to women. Solomon, especially in the first nine chapters, spends a lot of his time speaking to his own son about how to understand women, how to relate to women, how to understand marriage, and how to understand temptation. He is, he's not leaving it for someone else. He, he's not leaving it for his son to figure out on his own. No, Solomon has grabbed the bull by the horns, and he's now teaching his son in how the son should understand the temptation that exists in the world, and how he himself is responsible to fight that temptation, to, to flee that temptation, to maintain holiness, and to live for the delight of a marriage, an exclusive marriage. This is Solomon's instruction to his son how to relate to women, how to relate to the world. Solomon also warns him of what's out there in the world, and he begins that immediately in the first verses of chapter 1, where he, he says to his son, my son, listen, if sinners entice you, And then he goes on a long instruction about how his son must resist the enticement of people from this world. And that's an example for us as fathers. We don't leave it for our sons to figure out on their own through the pain of these lessons learned by personal experience. No, we teach our sons about the kinds of temptations that are out there, the enticements, how the world will make its entrance, and how to resist. That's a duty for you as a dad. You need to speak of those things. My son, when you turn on the TV and the commercial comes up. My son, when you, 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 you open your phone and, a, and a, a spam email comes through, this is what you do. My son, when somebody at, at, at school or one of your friends says, hey, let's go and do this, this is how you respond. This is a father's duty. This is what you must do in training your sons and daughters in the principles of successful living. Another one is that a father teaches his children about how to relate to work. It's found in chapter 10. Again, in chapter 10, Solomon begins by this address, my son, listen to my words, don't turn away from them. And he goes on then to explain work. It is a father's duty to train his children about how to understand the workplace. Why work is important. Why it is honorable. Why it is necessary. What kind of work is dignified and what kind of work is not dignified. It is the father's duty to train in this. It is the father's duty to explain the basics of economics. 
Listen, when we see the decline of our society into socialism, where people just want free stuff, that is an indication of the breakdown of fathers to train their children in the basics of economy. That work is something that is good. Yes, it is a cursed world, and so the product of labor will only come through sweat and through thorns, but it is nonetheless important. It's the principle of of sowing and reaping. It's the principle of delayed gratification. All of these things have to do with work. We've covered that already. And it's Solomon who is training his sons in this area. And men, we need to be engaged in that or our children themselves will go the way of socialism. We must train our children in how to relate to wealth. Solomon talks about wealth in in chapter 6, for example. We've studied this topic ourselves, but it's important to note that Solomon isn't giving this up to someone else in the world to train for his own sons. He is taking this responsibility himself and explaining to his son how to look at wealth. We must understand that children are devoid of this knowledge. It is not hidden inside them. It's not that they can go on some internal search and come up with the knowledge and wisdom that they need. No, fathers must speak. And this speech, this instruction in the wisdom of of living successfully in this world extends to everything like choosing the right spouse, the need for self-control, how to use words, how to build friendships, And the importance of charity. All the things that we have been studying so far in this series, these are all topics of a father's instruction to his children. This is what must engage our time. It's kind of as a side note, I found this interesting. There's an old Jewish proverb, undoubtedly drawn from the principles of the Mosaic law. And the proverb goes like this, He who does not teach his child a craft, a skill, teaches him to rob. Listen, when we have a huge problem today with young men who don't want to work, men who want to sit on the couch and just receive a government check, somebody said amen back there. I don't know what what to do with that. (laughs) That problem must be traced back to, to fathers. We can blame the government all we want. It's a breakdown of fatherhood. He who does not teach his child a trade teaches him to rob. One commentator in noting or observing this emphasis in the book of Proverbs that a father's duty is to train the the children in the skills of wise living said this, Neuhauser said this, quote, the father in Proverbs prepares the son for adulthood and independence. By telling him how to restrain his tongue, manage his career, handle his money, avoid sexual immorality, and choose a wife. He seeks to encourage qualities of honesty, self-control, generosity, diligence, and respect for authority. Parents hope to build wise convictions in their children so that they will make wise choices even when no one is looking or forcing them to comply. End quote. 
That is our duty when we bring children into this world. Well, we cannot, we cannot determine their salvation. We cannot change their hearts. We certainly can reveal what is in their heart through discipline and instruction. Salvation is only of the Lord. But in addition to that, what we do have a responsibility in is to train our children to condition them to to the behaviors that are necessary to live in this world. Number five, our second one for tonight. Number five, a father's successful leadership builds upon the model of godly behavior. This is so important, men. And perhaps this ranks as one of the most important out of all the nine. A father's successful leadership builds upon the model of godly behavior. We're not talking here about perfection. We're talking here about humble integrity. We're talking about the power of example that comes from an authentic man who's committed to holiness. While children have depravity bound up in their hearts, we must understand that few things exacerbate that depravity more than the example of a hypocritical father. Children will see many hypocrites in their day. Many. And those hypocrites will have varying degrees of influence on their lives. But let me tell you this. There is nothing so devastating to a child as a hypocritical father. The father's role is so influential that when the child sees hypocrisy, it leaves an indelible mark on his soul. Successful fatherhood therefore requires an unbreakable commitment to personal godliness. It embraces this law that we've talked about before. It's called the law of assimilation. We've mentioned this before with respect to relationships in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs teaches that you become like those with whom you spend most of your time. You become like those whom you respect most. You assimilate the behaviors, the attitudes, the speech of those with whom you spend most of your time, those whom you love the most, those who have the greatest influence in your life. You assimilate. And we must recognize that this law of assimilation works both ways. In a positive sense, in a negative sense. We must use it for the positive. We must use it for the child's good. We must recognize that our godly example, even apart from our speech, or even apart from direct instruction, our example of godliness is going to have a huge influence on the raising of our children. And conversely, hypocrisy, living a a a two-world kind of life. One world is a Sunday world where we go to church and we sing the songs and we dress up and we have a certain kind of vocabulary and conduct ourselves a certain way, carry a Bible. And then there's the weekday world, the world of many men which is filled with outbursts of anger It's filled with 
with inappropriate language and references and joking, all those kinds of things. And our kids see the difference. And trust me, they don't look at the Sunday man. They look at the weekday man. And that's what leaves its mark. There's an interesting situation, a circumstance, a little narrative in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where a Christian who's having a conversation with faithful, these two allegorical characters, they have this conversation about their traveling companion named Talkative. You can look this up sometime. Look for Talkative in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Not a wholesome character. But this is how Christian describes talkative to faithful. That's how John, John Bunyan describes it. Christian says, quote, He talketh of prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of new birth. But he only knows to talk of them. I have been in his family and have observed him both at home and abroad. And I know what I say of him is truth. His house is empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. There is neither prayer nor sign of repentance for sin. Thus say the common people that know him, a saint abroad and a devil at home. His poor family finds it so. And for my part, I am of the opinion that he has by his wicked life caused many to stumble and fall and will be, if God prevent not, the ruin of many more. End quote. You will be the ruin of your children if you live a hypocritical life. It doesn't matter how good you look on Sunday. It doesn't matter if you know Calvin's Institutes by heart. If you live as a hypocrite at the home, you will be responsible for the ruin of your children. And that's unfortunately what happens in many homes. It's kind of like the motto that says, do as I say, not as I do. Must recognize another saying that says this He who sins before a child sins double. Instead, we must recognize the truth communicated by John Tillotson, Archbishop of Canterbury in the late 1600s. He said this To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. Now, how does Proverbs address this issue? Let me give you just one. Proverbs 20 verse 7 emphasizes the role of a man of integrity, the influence of a man of integrity in his home. Proverbs 20 verse 7 A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. How blessed are his sons. Men, memorize that verse. Put it on your mirror to see in the morning, on your dashboard, in your car. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed 
are his sons after him. And that certainly comes through even in the New Testament, and I won't get into the whole text here, but in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 14, Paul alludes to the very same concept here when he's speaking of the influence in a home where there's just one believing spouse, where there's just one believing spouse, one faithful spouse, one spouse who loves the Lord. And, 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 and Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 14, that the rest of the household can be sanctified through the influence of even just one believing spouse. So you may think that maybe you're, you're unequally yoked and your, your wife is an unbeliever. She doesn't live in obedience to the gospel. She, she doesn't live in integrity. And your children see that. And you might be saying, well, there's no hope. No, there is. Especially for you as a dad. That even in that home, in an unequally yoked home, that your life of integrity, your obedience to the word of God is a powerful sanctifying effect. Never look down, never minimize the capacity for influence that your day-to-day simple godly behavior will have on your children and even on your spouse. Number six, our third one for tonight, a father's successful leadership depends on marital unity. A father's successful leadership depends on marital unity. This one, too, is one of the most important that we can study here in Proverbs. One of the greatest obstacles to successful parenting is a conflict-ridden marriage. Just consider what happens when a marriage, even among two professing believers, a marriage where there's constant strife, Think of the consequences of that strife. Marital strife distracts a father from his parental duties. If you're constantly at it with your wife, quarreling, bickering, constantly in that tension of disunity, that will distract you from your parental duties. It never gives you greater joy because you're at odds with your wife. To, to engage with your children. It distracts you. Moreover, that marital strife saps you of the energy that you need to invest in your children. If you're constantly at war with your wife, you will have little energy to pay attention to your children and to give them the kind of, of, of instruction and time and, and attention that they deserve. Moreover, marital strife disheartens the children. They're far more observant than we realize. They're far smarter than we realize. We may think that, that there's just this cold war taking place. Kids don't know about it. It's just something that's, you know, between us. We argued in private. Oh, kids can pick that up. They can, it's, it's like a, 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 a sixth sense. They can come home from school And just look at mom and dad and know something's happened. Something's happened. They can tell it from a mile away. And when they see it, it never brings joy to a a child. It disheartens them. No child wants to see his two parents 
his providers, his protectors. No child wants to see them at odds with each other. Moreover, marital strife conditions children to believe that quarreling is the norm. That this is how you deal with problems. You fight about them. You argue. You bicker. You say nasty words. It teaches children to respond with anger. That when there is a a lack of agreement on an issue, that the way to to hash it all all out is not through preferring one over the other, to prefer the, the other spouse over yourself. Rather, this teaches children to resolve or attempt to resolve their their debates, their differences through anger. That's what marital strife does. But ultimately, get this. The foolishness that is bound up in a child's heart will capitalize on marital discord and use it as a pretext for sin. Again, remember, our children do not come into this world as angels. They don't come into this world believing the best. They come into this world with foolishness wrapped up, bound up in their hearts. And so when they see mom and dad in in strife with one another, their flesh uses that as that foundation, that pretext to lash out in their own sin. You can be guaranteed of that. And for those of you who have children, you, you know this. You know, when you have been at it with your wife, you look at the impact on your children and you know it leads them towards patterns of greater and greater sinfulness. It brings it all out. But Proverbs grants no legitimacy to marital discord. Proverbs does not allow for it. Proverbs always assumes that fathers and mothers work in unity in the raising of children One commentator observed this, though the mother never speaks in Proverbs, it is clear that the father often speaks on behalf of both parents as he instructs his son. And so while Proverbs places the primary, the priority uh, on the father, the primary responsibility of the father to instruct in these things doesn't mean that the wife is somewhere doing her own thing. No, the book of Proverbs assumes the unity, the harmony of the father with the child's mother. Look at a few of these Proverbs. Again, right at the very beginning, 1 verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, again, the mother, in, in, the, in terms of what we have in Proverbs, is silent, but she's not silent at home. She's teaching the child as well. And when we have a proverb like this, we see beautiful harmony between the two. And so the father says, don't forsake your mother's teaching and hear my own own teaching. There is no sense in which these are two different, categorically different kinds of instruction. They're treated the same way, emphasizing marital harmony. Proverbs 6 verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. There's a parallelism here. The teaching of the father is the same thing as the teaching of the mother. And so the child cannot afford to reject either one of them. Proverbs 23 verse 22, listen to your father who begot you 
and do not despise your mother when she is old. Notice the, this is looking at things kind of like in, in, in uh, parentheses or in bookends. The father who begot, referring to the child's youthfulness, and then the mother when she's old, referring to the, the end of the, the parent's age. And in, in both cases, there is harmony here throughout the duration of the marriage. There is a unity that comes, and it's essential for successful parenting. Even when we look at Proverbs 31, right at the end of the book, this section here on the excellent wife, it's a, it's a section of Proverbs written to the honor of a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing wife, and notice the marital harmony that's here. Verses 10 to 12 of Proverbs 31, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels, the heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Every instance where mother is mentioned in Proverbs, it is always presupposed that she and the father stand as a united team Neither father nor mother in the book of Proverbs is ever shown as opposing each other. Both are involved. Both teach the same thing. And both reap the same consequences, whether for their successes or for their failures. You're in it together with your wife. And that is what leads Jay Adams to say, quote, the best way to be a good father to your children is to be a good husband to their mother. Let me say that again. This is what Jay Adams said. This is worth remembering. The best way to be a good father to your children is to be a good husband to their mother. You know, maybe you're, you feel like you're spinning your wheels with your children. You're reading all the books on, on parenting you're trying to apply these things. You're giving all your energy towards that, and it seems that it's just not yielding fruit. Well, let's step back for just a moment. Let's talk about a more important priority. What's the relationship like with your wife? And perhaps for those of you fathers who are struggling, the very best thing for you to do is actually not focus right now on your fathering. It's to focus on your role as a husband. It's to focus on that relationship. And if you will prioritize that, if you will make that your top priority, your primary horizontal relationship here in this world, if you will cherish your wife and you will cherish that relationship and pour all your resources into that right now, listen, the other things will fall into place. And that will have much more of a positive impact on your children than if you learned all the supposed secret keys out there when it comes to raising children. If you get this one piece right in terms of this horizontal relationship, next to the fear of God, that, that issue that makes the biggest difference is going to be how you treat your wife, how you treat your child's mother. And if you will resolve to establish a, a, solid, a, a solid marriage 
of giving preference for one another and of loving each other sacrificially, unconditionally, if you will give yourself to that, your children are going to make it. And again, you, you know, that's not the secret to their salvation per se. Only the Lord can change their hearts. We recognize that. But again, go back to the statistics. Go back to the statistics which are overwhelmingly clear of children who are raised in divorced and broken homes. As opposed to, to children who are raised in a home where, where the, the parents may not be educated, they may not have college degrees, they may not live in, 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 even in ever in their own house, they may be always living in a rented place, have one vehicle, just entry-level jobs, but they love each other and the children are always so much better in that household. You know, it's one of the great myths one of the great lies, I should say, that the, the culture is, is purveying today, that the greatest thing for, for, for families is to have two, two uh, both parents outside the home making lots of money. Children can be raised by the state, by preschool teachers, by daycare workers, and that'll contribute to a great society. And it's all a lie. And every statistic says it's such. In fact, there's a statistic, statistic that just came out uh, two weeks ago that said that most married women would love to stay at home and be a homemaker. And yet, it's the feminists, those who are trying to destroy, destroy the home, that are trying to teach and, and, and convince women that they're far better off spending most of their days outside the home and with other men. But if you'll commit to loving your wife and ensuring that your home environment is a place of love, not a place of, of extravagance, but a place of love and marital harmony. You give your children a blessed legacy. That's what we must aim for. We're going to end with that for tonight. The final three I'll record and post online. You can listen to them later. This is a lot of food for thought. And I know it's, when we hear these Proverbs, it brings us to a place of contrition as we see the standard that God has given us, see, see the wisdom that He has displayed for us, and recognize how far we still have to go. Let's look to the Lord and ask Him, at this time, to do His work through His Word in us, to make us the kind of fathers we need to be, whether now or in the future, and to make us the kind of men who can disciple other fathers to be the kind of men they need to be. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the innermost parts. It divides. It reveals. And certainly your teaching in your word on being a father, being a husband, reveals a lot of unconquered places in our hearts, places that yet need to be sanctified. Places that still 
express rebellion against your truth. Father, we pray that your word would reign in us in those very areas. That you'd bring our hypocrisies to our vivid attention and not let us sleep until we have repented and entrusted you for the strength and the forgiveness that we need, the growth that we need in these areas. Sanctify us by your word, by these proverbs. Through your word, teach us to be the kind of fathers and husbands we need to be. For the blessedness of our children, for the delight of our wives, for our future generations, but ultimately for your glory's sake. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.